This audio podcast is available in several places. On YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Overcast, etc. Or you can just add the RSS feed to your podcast player or download the MP3 audio file from my website. If you're listening to the podcast, for example, on iTunes, I would appreciate a rating and a review. And on YouTube, subscribe to my channel and click the notification bell icon. If you enjoy a podcast episode, a like is always welcome. As are any comments or questions you may have, which you can add in the comment section below each episode, for example, on YouTube. Thank you. Cheers. Although, uh, if people don't like, they're going straight down into David Jones's locker, so they better click the like button. Hello and welcome to the Sim Racing Perspectives podcast for Sunday the 14th of April 2019. I'm your host Davy Jones and I'm delighted today to be joined by Marcus Martellius from Grumbelow.com. Hello Marcus. Good morning Davy. Hello Marcus and thank you very much for joining. Now Marcus is passionate about motorsport and sim racing both personally and professionally but more on this later. Now, as many of the listeners will know, I'm based in Finland and Marcus is a Finn. And as many will know, many Finns are passionate about motorsport and sim racing. For example, you have Kimi Raikkonen in Formula One. You have Mika Hakkinen, former Formula One champion, doing a racing comeback this year. He's going to drive Suzuka in August in Japan. And he's now at the 50-year-old flying Finn. Marcus Paltela is driving the BMW M6 GT3 in the IMSA Championship. Tony Wielander is driving the Ferrari 488 GT3. Tommy Mackinen is currently managing uh, Toyota's return to the World Rally Championship. And indeed, the team is managed here in Finland, and I believe the car is also developed here in Finland. A young Finn, Jona Pankunen, won the Volkswagen Codemasters Dirt Championship last year, 2018. Uh, Wreckfest, which is a very popular game now, is developed by Bugbear here in Helsinki. And finally, and I guess more closer to my heart, Gregor Hutu of Team Redline and Dom Doohan is currently working on the user interface for R-Factor 2. And of course, as many will know, Dom Doohan is also involved directly with Studio 397 and R-Factor 2. Marcus, your interest in motorsport is due in general to your involvement in the exhaust business. Can you describe that business to us in in, in brief? Because I'm interested because um, I'm a fan of race room racing experience developed by Sector 3 Studios in Sweden. And I've had the guys on the podcast. And race room, as I say, is directly backed by Klaus Wolfhardt, KW Auto in Germany. So I'm interested in your background in the car exhaust business, for example, and then the development into the online. So can you briefly outline what the exhaust business, where it came from and what it's all about? Sure thing. So uh, safe to say that uh, I have uh, some speed genes in my DNA for sure. Uh, uh, Two years before I was born, my uh, father, who is an automotive engineer, uh, started a business making exhaust manifolds for rally cars mainly. Uh, back in the day, it was the Ford Escort Mark IIs and the Opel Asconas and uh, and these type of vehicles that were were very popular in both the the world stage and the national stages of rallying. And uh, yeah, it was a one man business, uh, a side side show, as to say, for him back yeah. in the day. Uh, but uh, I I grew up 
as as the business grew up on the side and uh, and uh, that's uh, that was sort of my second home was was where the exhaust and exhaust manifolds were being made so uh also from my mother's side uh, my my uncle was uh, was the Finnish rally champion in 1990 if i'm not mistaken on the year so uh, i i guess i got the technical genes from my father's side and some uh, speed genes from my mom's <laughs> side so nice one yeah yeah that's sort of uh, sort of the family tree background here yeah but the the exhaust business was uh, uh, was something that uh, grew over the years uh, it's still operating here in in southwestern finland near turku and uh, called martelius exhaust uh, www.martelius.com okay and yeah. uh, uh, we employ nine people producing exhausts both for the street and uh, for racing uh, we still have a big presence in the historic racing exhaust manifolds and uh, stuff like that. Uh, they are very popular in, for example, Germany and Sweden and, and many other countries where uh, classic rear-wheel drive rally cars are, are still being used. So uh, uh, in one sense, the, the core of that uh, business remained around those products uh, of, of those Escorts and Opals and, and Volvos and what have you. But... Uh, of course, it has expanded, and uh, currently we are producing exhausts for American classic cars and muscle cars. And uh, we are very popular with the Honda Civic Type R community uh, worldwide, really, with the mm. three latest generations, uh, making making a nasty sounding uh, race type exhaust for the street. So uh, yeah, we we are doing uh, on the exhaust side many many different things, and uh, uh, very very healthy and growing business indeed there. Yeah, sounds very interesting. And then tell us then about any uh, real-world racing experience you have yourself. So, where to begin? My driving uh, career or, or or my driving life started when I was three years old. Uh, for my birthday, when I turned three, a few of my uncles uh, uh, were working back in the day in the in the local car factory that was producing the Saab 900. And uh, the car factory had this uh, little uh, Saab-shaped car that uh, the employees could rent for, for children to drive. So that was my present for my third birthday was to get to drive that, <laughs> nice one, yeah. that little, yeah. little Saab for one day. Yeah. Uh, about uh, ten, 10 or so months later, uh, before I turned four, I, I got this... Uh, uh, car for myself. Uh, in Finland, very popular thing back in the day, it was called the Lokari car. Uh, basically, it was a Formula One shaped uh, body, a uh, plastic body yeah. uh, on top of a tubular frame. And uh, back in the rear of the car was a Briggs and Stratton lawnmower engine. So uh, that uh, that thing was very popular amongst the, the, the children uh, in the 80s and 90s, specifically in the countryside of Finland. And uh, I, I had one of those, and uh, that that I I was driving in the yards and uh, in the in the factory yards and and all these places for for many many years. Uh, then skipping forward, I did some two wheel stuff in between, and uh, never really competitively anything. But uh, when I turned eighteen and I got my license, I took my Honda Civic, which was my first real car. Uh, to a track day here uh, locally in Alastaro Circuit, one hour away from my home. And uh, that's when I really got hooked in in performance driving and, and specifically the circuit racing stuff. 
and uh, I kept going to track days for for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, in the side uh, in 2004, I bought a Nissan Silvia S12. Uh, that's uh, the sort of ugly duckling of the of the Nissan Silvia family, the early one, uh, before the S13 and the S14s that are more popular and more known. Uh, so basically me and my father with the help of a few friends uh, during the course of two years built that into a full-blown race car uh, to participate in what's called the road sport championship here in in Finland and uh, uh, we put the the rear axle from a newer Nissan to improve the geometry and uh, the engine was the SR22 liter turbo from uh, from the S14 chassis Nissan Silvia and uh, it started its life uh, as a race car in 2006 with about 420 horsepower, uh, which was way too much for my driving experience. Actually. <laughs> I can but, imagine, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it was a handful to drive, but uh, uh, I managed some good positions with that car. Like my first race weekend in Botniering, I, I placed uh, sixth and seventh in the, in the heats, I, I think if I remember correctly. And uh, uh, I drove that car for about four years. Well, exactly four years, four seasons. Yeah. And it, it evolved into 570 brake horsepower and uh, wow. uh, more than 650 newtons of torque. So it was, back in the day, it was probably the fastest, uh, at least the most powerful one of, of uh any circuit racing cars in that category or or anything of the sorts here in in, in the national circuits and uh, the car was very reliable until the end then we made some uh, changes to the valve train layout of the engine and uh, there was a couple of reliability issues and in the 2009 season i blew the engine twice and that sort of Put the, put the car back in the garage. I, uh, we had a good plan on, on how to make a new engine. And uh, actually, I still do have that car and, and uh, all the parts needed to put it back together. Yeah. But uh, looking at the calendar now, it's been almost 10 years that the car hasn't been raced. Yeah. But in, in 09, I also uh, imported a drift car from Japan. Uh, it was a Skyline R33, uh, keeping it in the Nissan family. And uh, I, I did drifting for for fun and a little bit for competition for a couple of years there. Uh, in the side, I got uh, involved in a BMW team that was in the Finnish uh, circuit racing championships. Uh, the format was like a, a short or medium length endurance racing. So it was two drivers with a driver exchange in between. Okay. And uh, did a couple of couple of events with that. And uh, then I pretty much laid low on the competition side until uh, a few years back. It was five years since my previous race and uh, I realized that to keep my competition license I need to drive something. So I rented this uh, 1.6 liter Civic for, uh, for a front wheel drive uh, category here and, uh, and just drove one race there. So. Uh, now I haven't been active in, in real-world racing in a couple of years, but uh, I probably have about 30 starts under my belt in, yeah. in real-world racing and, uh, and and a lot of track days and other stuff in, in there in between. Well, it's impressive. Uh, you know your stuff, Marcus, I must say. Now, first thing, first few things that come to my mind, 
570 horsepower. That's close to the top end of what the Group B was, isn't it? I mean, th- those Group B cars were nearly 600 horsepower, and, and those things were dangerous. Um, yes. And then the um, the Alastaro race course, isn't there a Porsche event there every year in August or something? Yes. Actually, my... Uh, my race with the Honda Civic in the front-wheel drive category yeah. uh, was held as a part of that Porsche weekend. We were ah, like a yeah. killer class in that competition. So, yeah, I've seen that uh, that event up, up close and personal as well. Ah, cool, because I, I, I have thought about going, visiting one time with a neighbor who has a Porsche, but it never happened in the end. And then finally, um, the previous episode, I had Rene Butler and Marcel Offermans on from Studio 397. And Rene Butler has uh, the new Honda Civic Type R. And I asked him about it because he posted an image of the car on Twitter. He was driving the car with his girlfriend on the Nordschleife. And I said, Rene, what size rims are those on the car? Are they like aftermarket? He said, no, no, no. He said, they're they're like, they're 20 inch allies. I was like, wow, 20 inch is like massive. And he said, said, no, um, that's like factory. So I was fascinated by that because... Because you know you had those narrow profile tires. He said that he said the tires were were difficult to source, but but it, it it looks really cool. And I believe I've seen many 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 videos on the um, front wheel drive Honda Civic type type R, and it's proving very popular in reviews and so on. Now, Marcus, you mentioned drifting, so I wanted to to um, ask you then about your 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 drifting history. And you told me before that you also used to host a drifting podcast in Finnish. So tell me about that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was very, very passionate about about drifting uh, in my in my younger years. Yeah. Uh, the D1 Grand Prix in Japan started in in year 2000 or 2001 uh, was their first full championship, and uh, from the very beginning, I was I was watching that stuff. Uh, I had got hooked in the uh, Japanese car scene and the Japanese tuning scene from online videos, even way before YouTube existed, there was a, a website called Kaza that I was downloading stuff from as a, as a school it, boy yeah. with, mm-hmm. yeah, with my friends. And uh, yeah. there was some snippets from option video and whatnot. So I sort of got the introduction to the drifting culture from, from that stuff. And uh, when D1 Grand Prix really uh, established itself as a, as a competition format, I, I was a really big fan from the beginning. And, uh, a few years later, uh, the Western world started to adopt drifting as well, and uh, so did uh, did some organizers here in Finland. Uh, it was really a, a fashion thing, like everybody wanted to be part of that industry. A little bit like sim racing is now, really. Uh, mm, indeed. You know, there's yeah. there's a rising rising tide with uh, with something, and uh, and everybody wants to attach themselves to it. Drifting events in Finland, in my opinion, were a little bit. Uh, how should I say unorganized? So the the judging criteria wasn't what I was expecting when I was watching the Japanese stuff and sort of understood what they were looking for there. And uh, it, it just it, it was more like a show than than a competition, and and that didn't sit really well with me. So uh, after a few years, uh, I decided that I have to do something to to be involved and uh, I found a friend who uh, who 
was good with websites and stuff. And we built this website, vastaheitto.com, which basically translates into, into the Scandinavian flick.com. Ah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was the name of the website, and uh, and the forums got got pretty popular. All the all the main drivers were there, and all the organizers were there, and all the uh, fans were there, and uh, things were things were doing doing good there, and uh, we were participating in the events and uh, making videos and whatnot, and uh, uh, at some point uh, I got involved in. Uh, uh, judging the drift competition as well. Uh, then I got into uh, the organization itself. Uh, was one of the founders of the FPDA, which is the Finnish Pro Drifting Association, uh, a non-profit that was uh, sort of founded with the principal idea of uh, uh, improving the quality of competition and fairness and, and all these aspects there. So uh, I wrote the first technical rule book of the Finnish drifting and uh, uh, I was educating the judges on the criteria and showing them the Japan way and the American way and uh, sort of this experience that I had gained over the, over the course of the years by watching so many videos and so much content. And I had visited uh, the Silverstone circuit in the UK for a D1 exhibition where the Japanese guys came over to to show how it's done, yeah. and uh, I I sort of felt like I had something to give, and uh, for a few years I was involved with that stuff. But uh, as always or often happens with this uh, voluntary work, the the thanks are few and far in between, and uh, and the work amount that you end up doing is is quite a lot. So uh, after about I would say seven or eight years being really active in organizing the drifting stuff, I, I sort of pulled out from there. But as part of that website that we were hosting, I, I did have a drifting podcast myself. We did uh, maybe a dozen or so episodes over the course of one season. Yeah. But uh, that sort of faded away also with uh, with uh, my involvement being being less and less in the drifting scene. But I'm I'm still very actively following the the Japanese and the American scene a little bit as well. And uh, as a sport, drifting has a special place in my heart because of my history with it, really. And uh, having done drifting here in Finland as well, and I, I took part in the Ebisu Drift Matsuri one year in Japan, uh, rented a car there and drove really? for a little bit with the, with the Japanese guys there. So, yeah, I've, I've been around with that sport as well. Yeah, well, fascinating. And I, I, I will admit that, and I know from personal experience, like doing a thing as a hobby is hard. Keeping it going when you're doing it on, on a voluntary basis, if you will, it's, it's difficult. And, and I feel like that, that I won't say apprentice talking to the master, uh, not even close to, to apprentice. Now, I, I have some notes here because when we chatted earlier, you wanted to ask me about my opinions on, on um drifting and simulation drift competitions and i have to admit i knew nothing and and indeed you you guys you sent me links to stuff so i could find out because well like i commented to you i I went to google it and i couldn't find anything and there was i thinking um google indexes everything but now one thing i do remember is i remember playing codemaster dirt 3 and uh uh, trying to drift in in uh, ken blocks um WRC uh, Ford Focus and I was using an Xbox pad and trying to use manual gears and getting nowhere 
And I remember recently, one of the guys I had on the show was um, Steve Brown, Super GT. And Steve did a live stream of the Drive Club on the uh, PlayStation 4 because the Drive Club title is closing down this year. And I remember during the stream that Steve himself, Steve is uh, primarily a Gran Turismo sport YouTuber and streamer. And Steve was trying to drift during the live stream in using Drive Club and he was finding it very difficult. Um, and that, now I know I do play Assetto Corsa and Automobilista, for example, from the PC sim racing world. And Assetto Corsa has this Japanese car pack and it has a drift mode. And there are drifting videos using Assetto Corsa like Japanese toge style. So they're very popular, of course. And, and drifting is very popular am among the, the younger guys especially with the Forza channels and GTA and, and Gran Turismo and so on. And also there's another title which is very great. I don't know how popular it is, Automobilista from uh, Brazil. And that also has drifting focused content. And one of the things I do know is uh, from Japan, you have um, Akira Nakai-san, the RWE. I've watched his videos on YouTube. And even yesterday I watched a video where a guy was changing headers and exhausts on a Porsche 911 GT3 RS. I have no clue what I'm looking at, but I'm still, but I'm still watching it. And, and no, no, no doubt you know exactly what it all means. Akira Nakai, he came from the drifting scene and he's now world, world famous for, for modifying Porsches by hand using, using his body kits and, and so on. So that was very interesting to watch. Now, I did, thanks to you, find the uh, Virtual Drift Championship and I'll link to everything I talk about below in the podcast description and I came across a, a channel and a website now they seem to, to use primarily Facebook this group was founded in 2016 and they use a set of Corsa and I was impressed because they're very highly organized to join you either need to have a license handed out by them during an online competition day or you need to have a, a, a real drifting license in the real world. And they have a highly organized Facebook page and they're starting out on YouTube. They have tracks and cars available to download. So I was very, very impressed with that because you have many, um, I follow many competitions, motorsport competitions, both uh, in real world and online, for example, both endurance and sprint. And for those ones that are done in either iRacing or Assetto Corsa or Sim Racing System, they're very highly organized and I respect the guys for what they're doing, keeping it going. And I link to their I link to the virtual drift championship down below in the description. They had two videos. It's an early start for them and they had one from uh, uh Road Atlanta, I think it was, and another one from uh, New Jersey. And it, and the tracks I believe are custom made. So they're doing really good stuff. Now Marcus I want to um continue on with, with you then and so can you tell us when did you get your first sim racing reel and and what gear do you run now so that was somewhere in the mid to late 90s uh i was playing a lot of car games since since i was very little i think i got the commodore 64 uh, gaming computer yeah, uh, wow. when i was about six or so and uh that obviously had some racing games, but you can't speak of simulation back in those no. days. It was it was no. very arcade indeed. Yeah. But uh, as the PCs developed a little bit, and uh, we always had a decent computer at home, not not the best ones, but uh, but decent ones. Uh, there was a lot of games uh, coming out. Like uh, one of the first proper proper simulations that I remember having was the Grand Prix Two. 
Uh, I missed out on the on the first Grand Prix, but the Grand Prix two that was I think ninety six or so. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that might have been one of the first uh, first games that you could call simulation that I I got really involved with, and uh, as is the case, trying to play with the keyboard you get really frustrated and you don't get anywhere. So uh, somewhere there in the mid to late nineties, there started to come out these first commercial steering wheel and pedals packages that force feedback didn't even exist back in the days. It was like oh. the uh, rubber band centering system inside and really, really, really flimsy and uh, a lot of uh, play in the in the center and all that good stuff. And easy but, to break, uh, I can imagine. Easy to break. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I broke several ones of, of my first steering wheels. Like uh, I was trying to remember how many years they lasted on average but uh, not too many not too many at all but uh, it was still a big improvement from trying to trying to play with the keyboard and stuff and uh, uh, as a as a young boy i was i was really passionate about cars and racing and all all of that stuff was following formula one a lot and yeah. and the wrc and i was really into the uh, group B era of rallying that I, I had been too little to, to live in real life. I'm born in 84, the same year as the cars really got, got wild on the rallies. That's true. So, yeah, uh, mm. yeah I'm, I, I was really, really into cars and uh, playing a lot of different games uh, during the years. But uh, yeah, it was, it was somewhere in 97 or 98, some, somewhere along there that I got the first wheel. Yeah. Can't remember what brand it was. Maybe it was Thrustmaster or something. But uh, yeah, it was one of those rubber band type of things. And uh, throughout the years, uh, I got several others and force feedback came. And at some point there was a Logitech Momo wheel. And, yes. And uh, that, that was like a big improvement over, over the previous ones. Like it was a little bit more sturdy and stuff. But uh, yeah, breaking those plastic gears in the first four speed feedback wheels was like very common thing, <laughs> yeah. because you of course you have to run at least at hundred percent force feedback, if not hundred and twenty, so so that you get the, the maximum effects from from your wheel. So uh, yeah, those those wheels, and of course they were clamped into the wooden uh, wooden desk. Uh, with the pedals uh, in the floor and you were on an office chair and sliding around <laughs> yeah sliding yeah. around moving around and yeah. trying to bring the pedals back when they run away from you and you know i that that era it i i wouldn't call it sim racing because no, it it no. was it was just it was just playing and gaming even if the games were getting better and better yeah uh but you know the experience wasn't really pure because of the equipment, and you were still at your, uh, you know, at, in my case, being a young boy at my parents' house in in the you know office room in the corner, and the rest of the family is doing their business around the house, and yeah. uh, you are not really immersed into the racing experience as as is. But uh, it was it was still a lot of fun and something I, I spent a lot of time doing. Uh, then when I got my real car and my driver's license, I sort of uh, didn't play much for several years because I was I was just driving in the real world and, and causing problems in the streets and in the tracks. 
with the real car. And uh, somewhere, I would say, 2004 or so, yeah. I, I got the Logitech G25. Uh, now somebody might say that oh, it came one year later or one year earlier or whatever, but it was it was a pretty, it was a decent piece of kit. Uh, it was the first wheel that I had that turned like several rotations on the wheel, yeah. so that you didn't get the full steering lock after like 120 degrees to one direction. So that that was a big improvement in the realism of of trying to drive like uh, saloon car type of things. Uh, on the formula cars, of course, the limited steering motion wasn't a problem, but uh, uh, also it had the H pattern gear shifter and uh, and three pedals and and stuff. So uh, it, that that was something that I used quite a lot during the years. And uh, I found this sim called Live for Speed, and uh, I was I was racing that quite a bit during those years. Uh, not that much online. I was more of an offline racer. For some reason, I was put off by the uh, online gaming community. I don't know why. Uh, just uh, didn't feel like it was my thing that much. I just wanted to drive when I felt like driving, and I just did it offline against the AI or whatever. Many, and many, many. Sorry, Marcus. Many feel that way actually, and that's still the same way today. And and for many, it's I don't want to race online. I might get rammed, or I just literally don't have the time. And if you want to get involved, you can get involved in iRacing, for example, schedule races or a league in a set of course or whatever, but you need time to do it. Yeah, it's the same as real world racing. Like you need to be organized and you need to build your life around that schedule. So mm. uh, I was I was doing it more for the fun. So I, I didn't want to invest uh, that much uh, time and, uh, and involvement into into actually taking part in the online racing. But uh, uh, then I actually did drifting quite a lot on the Live for Speed. And, and there was this tool that allowed you to modify the game uh, so that you could add wheel lock uh, because that was very limited in the stock car. So uh, I found this, this modding tool. I have not the faintest clue what the name of that tool was, but it, it basically allowed you to hack all the parameters in yeah. the garage when you were adjusting the car. So. Uh, you could add power and you could add add steering angle and modify all, all of that stuff. So uh, uh, I actually did my one and only YouTube video of me playing uh, a racing game when I was drifting on the Live for Speed. That, that's the, <laughs> to this date, the only YouTube video that I've ever produced of gaming that was like 2000 and eight or something yeah seven, right 2008 that, or seven or that's something. when youtubers re, was was really starting and it's funny that you've been talking and, and I've, it's had me thinking for example you like you mentioned the g25 and logitech 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 however you say it. you had the g25 the g27 many people are still using those wheels then you have the g29 the g920 the pc xbox and, and, and playstation 4 and you talk about for example wheels breaking I have I have Thrustmaster gear. I've gone to I've gone through three T three hundred bases, and I I have I have videos on my channel about about errors and fixes, and I get I get views and comments on them on them all the time. And <laughs> I, I I bought a higher end uh, Thrustmaster bases TSPC, and uh, it's used actually. It's a long story, but uh, you talk about like the in the early days these plastic cog and gear based systems are these. Uh, bungee cord based systems breaking. I'm literally afraid 
if my T300 was uh, working, I'd literally be afraid to, let's say, buy a copy of Dirt Rally 2 and play that because I literally feel or maybe I'm, I'm too strong or whatever and I don't even have the, the forces turned up too high. I'm literally afraid of breaking the wheel. So everything you said, for example, the strength of the gear and online versus offline in terms of sim racing, everything you said is still, still irrelevant to this day. And, ex- and actually, Live for Speed is still going because I've heard Sean Cole from the Sim Pit talking about news updates for Live, Live for Speed. So Live for Speed is still alive alive and kicking somewhere out there um marcus are you still do you still play now or actively and if so do you what gear do you have now if you have any time what uh, wheel and base are you running now so uh being an entrepreneur and uh and having also a family has uh, sort of stolen my time from from that stuff and i actually sold my g25 uh, a year or so ago oh, really? uh, I, yeah. I, yeah i yeah i felt like i wasn't getting the satisfaction from gaming anymore with that that device and uh, yeah. uh it it just isn't close enough to the real world racing which is what i what i truly love and uh, so so i i didn't feel like uh, uh, trying to build a new PC setup or or trying to invest in new PlayStation games or something. Uh, so I, I just let go of it. Uh, and uh, actually, it's, it's funny how things come full circle uh, because with Grumblo, my business, I've been talking to a lot of different people around and in the, in the motorsport industry. Yeah. And I found this company was local. Uh, local to our office in Turku uh, called Foracer and uh, uh, Jukka Leskinen, a very uh, knowledgeable guy in the in the sim racing community here and also part of organizing some events and, and what have you. Uh, he has this really nice event room with these uh, full-blown motion sims and uh, uh, he has the good wheels and, and really high-level pedals with the uh, hydraulic forces and uh, you know three monitors up front curled around you so that you have the good uh, field of vision and and all that good stuff yeah yeah. so uh, I went there uh, just to talk with him and uh, to understand how that sort of a business can work and if there would be some basis for for Grumblow to be cooperating with uh, uh, with the company who is who is operating in the sim racing so uh, me and my marketing man, we, we walk through the door and the first thing Jukka says, hello and welcome, so let's get racing. And he, <laughs> yeah. he puts us into the sims yeah. and uh, uh, his main product is Rallycross and he's doing it on Automobilista. Uh, ah, he has of, actually, of course, yeah. Mm. Yeah, he has yeah. modeled the Finnish Rallycross circuits yes. uh, with his own team into that uh, that software and uh, he also has a custom built rally cross car like a supercar four wheel drive 600 horsepower uh, with a sequential gearbox on the on the uh, you know eye pattern uh, it's not the pe- paddle shifts but uh, you have to use your your hand to shift the gears on yes the, it's on sequential the shifter yeah. level. Mm. yes forward forward and back basically yeah. forward mm. and back yes yep. exactly. yeah mm. so uh, he put us out there for like 20 or 30 minutes and uh, then he basically reset the whole thing and said that now we are racing and he joined the race himself and uh, 
we had a really wonderful uh, race for like five or six laps on, on yeah. one of the Finnish rally cross circuits. And I never did did rally cross in real world myself, so it was like completely new and very immersive experience. And uh, uh, during and after that experience, I sort of started to realize what is the difference between uh, like gaming gear and real sim gear. Yes. And uh, mm. uh, I realized myself that for that half an hour that I was in that sim, I was in race car driver mode. Uh, I wasn't in gaming yeah, mode. I, I was mm. like really, really immersed and uh, you know, the only things on my minds were how to improve the line next time around on that that point. And on, on flag point number eight, you need to start braking a little bit earlier because you messed up the acceleration out of that bend. And, you know, yeah. you go into this, I don't know what to call it. It's sort of a flow state uh, or, or uh, you know, I guess it comes from the evolutionary background that you are running away from the sable to the tiger in the in the stone ages and you, you need to, <laughs> fight or you flight need to, yeah mm. you need to forget about the, the nonsense and concentrate on on doing what you are doing really really well and when you are driving a real race car that's the only mode that you can be in if you are thinking about it or if you are thinking about your life and or other stuff uh, you are going to crash or do really really poorly <laughs> in that car yeah. so uh I realized that that was the first time that I got into the real zone of race car driver mode uh, playing a game when I was in that sim. And uh, it's been a few months now since I since I visited him. And uh, I, I've sort of put a goal for myself that I need to have some sort of a, of a sim set up for myself in, in the near future. But uh, also I only drove on that one sim, on on that one uh, rallycross course. So I think I need to test several more setups. Uh, if I'm if I'm building a race car, all the components that I'm putting in it are based on some some sort of an engineering uh, understanding that I have. If I choose a turbo, I I choose one that is not too laggy, but it produces enough power and. Uh, that is suitable for the displacement and RPMs of my engine and uh, the type of boost levels that I want to want to use and, and all that stuff. And uh, that's something that I'm really used to uh, operating inside of my brain, like making these kind of choices for, for gear and, and equipment that I'm using. Yeah. And I feel that I'm not knowledgeable enough and I'm not experienced enough to make a decision on what kind of gear I should be running. Yeah. So uh, uh, I'm postponing my my sim rig investment <laughs> until <laughs> until I have gathered that experience and uh, until the time is right. Yeah, mm. yeah. Like uh, I I need to really feel and understand what's the difference between you know a belt driven uh, wheelbase with 12 newton meters of torque and and then a direct drive wheel with 25 or 30 newton meters of torque and uh, you know different pedal setups and yeah. and 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 all that stuff like uh, I need to understand the components that made me go into that race car driver zone yeah. because if I build a sim and then I feel like I'm gaming again then that's in my opinion with with my background and and my aspirations that's that's money wasted because uh the only only way i want to be sim racing is is fully immersed and and so that i can on demand get into that zone again 
So very, very long answer to your question, but no, I don't have any gear at the moment to be driving, driving on sims at all. Yeah, but Marcus, you, you, you've said so many interesting things and I believe we're recording here, we could talk for hours because what you've said is kind of the, the open the Pandora's box of, the, of, of discussions that are ongoing within the community every day. Like you talked about selling your G25 because you ha- didn't have time and it wasn't really giving you what you wanted. And I completely understand that because you have the experience of the real world. I mean, I, I, like I've learned so much about like from like I know nothing about uh, automotive engineering, but I mean, I'm fascinated by Group B and I'm fascinated by by springs and dampers and sway bars and anti-roll bars and exhausts and headers and i don't know really know what any of it means but i i have an idea and and all of that for me has come from sim racing and i and i had this i'm i'm kind of endlessly curious i just want to know and 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 i can hear what you know what what you're saying is exactly what's the discussion every day like people like like what do i need like how far should i go do I need belt and, and gear? Do I need uh, um, direct drive and, and so on? And, and indeed, like uh, there's a uh, a guy who works for uh, Sector Three Studios um, uh, Race Room, uh, Georg Ortner, George Ortner, and and George does streaming in his own time. And George is a lovely guy, and he posted a comment like somebody said, "Well, George drives a, a Thrustmaster TSPC racer like I have," and somebody said, "Well, that's not that's." your wheel is nowhere close to my direct drive. And like you get, you get a lot of nonsense online and, and stuff like that. But it, it's like, well, as far as I'm concerned, each to his own. And, and if you want to play Forza or Gran Turismo on, on, an, on a console and you have a gamepad and you're having fun, that's, what it, what, that, you know, that's great. And if you want, to, you want to invest in a full motion rig with, with Huskinvel pedals and, and a AccuForce or SimuCube or Fanatec Podium direct drive, triple screens and and vr you know that's great for you and and what you what you mentioned was interesting because you you're only aware of what's available when you go looking because if you do, like you said you went to yuka's place in turku and you tried this out and you say oh god no this is this is now available this is closer to what i remember from the real world because you as a as a driver with real experience you you, you know what you're talking about and indeed I, when I started kind of getting into the racing, somebody said to me, I, was, I gave somebody a demo with a pad, and he said to me, oh, you need to get a wheel. But at the time, I didn't know about wheels. I didn't know how much they cost. I thought they cost hundreds and hundreds of euros. I didn't, literally didn't know. And then I, I looked into it, and I, I got Dirt Rally. I've told the story before. I got dirt, the first Dirt Rally developed by uh, Paul Coleman, who I've had on the show, and uh, I was driving with a pad and I said, oh, this is not working. I need to get a wheel. And I got the Logitech uh, Driving Force GT, which is the starter wheel for many people. And then it, it just kind of went from there. So it, I feel your pain, so to speak. I know exactly exactly where you're coming from. And back to <laughs> an earlier point of um, sim racing on a desk. Uh, when I <laughs> sim race now, I have a metal stand, but I do sit at a desk. And I, I am in an office chair and uh, I'm planning to do a video. And the, the title will be the saddest sim rig you've ever seen because it's a case of <laughs> it's a case of you know I literally like you I have children I grab time when I can and I, you know I have a single screen and my PC isn't the greatest my screen isn't the greatest and I use this head tracking thing but it's it's enough for me and and I I've nothing to go on I mean my only experience is 
Last summer, uh, a friend of mine helped me get a quick test drive in a Porsche, which I did a video on because of, because I did a video about classic Porsche. So that was my thing. But for me, that was lots and, and I'm only like, it doesn't mean because I, I don't have any re real world experience, it doesn't stop me from being endlessly curious and, and talking to people like yourself. And whether you be from the real world or from the sim racing world, it's all about sharing information and knowledge and taking everybody's experience into context. And most importantly, it's about having fun and enjoying yourself and getting involved. I think that's the most important thing. And what you did from the drifting world and, and all the things you've done, that clearly shows that, you know, you've been trying to get involved, trying to learn and, and try to help and, and so on. Now, um, you told me earlier that you had spent six months with Gran Turismo 4 preparing for the Nürburgring in 2011. So tell me about that and then, then we'll move on to Grumblow. Sure thing. Uh, so just to get back to what you were saying uh, in, in your previous statement there, uh, I must emphasize that what I was doing in the office desk with the, with the Logitech wheel and with the office chair and with the pedals running away from me, when I was driving Live for Speed and when I was driving Gran Turismo 4 and all these games, that stuff really did translate into the real world. So it is helpful for the real world driving even if it's not uh, a fully immersive experience. So <clears throat> uh, sort of to uh, set the stage for my, for my Nürburgring story here. So I had been driving uh, in racing for many years at that point already. And uh, I had this wonderful mentor called Esa. His uh, nickname was the Fat Senna. Uh, very large, large person, uh, didn't look like a race car driver at all. Uh, he was actually the manager manager of one of the competing teams in the road sport championship when I was driving with the Nissan. And uh, I guess he saw some sort of potential in me and uh, he was very gracious of giving me some uh, tips and advice and encouragement. And we did many track walks together and uh, he really uh, mentored me a lot when it comes to racing. And uh, he put me into the mindset that uh, circuit racing is an intelligent man's sport that you shouldn't be uh, uh, shouldn't be limiting yourself by only only thinking about the driving ability and stuff that you can really be uh, learning about the circuits and learning about the, the uh, technology and all that stuff that and it, strategy it, and everything else yeah. every everything 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 but Esa was and still remains a very big fan of the Nürburgring he had his own car there for many many years and uh, uh, it, it it was a BMW E36 that looked almost stock. Uh, it was the M3 model, but uh, a classic car, you, mm. ca classic car, big time. But yeah. he was kicking some serious ass in Nurburgring with that car. Yeah, uh, it it had the best three-way adjustable shocks and uh, uh, all the all the good stuff. But it just looked like a standard M3 <laughs> on the outside. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, Esa kept telling me for years and years that you have to come to the Nürburgring and you have to come to the Nürburgring. And uh, finally, in the beginning of 2011, Esa said that, uh, okay, these are the dates that I'm going to the ring. And do you want to come with me? That I will introduce you to all the all the people and I will show you the track and uh, I will tell you where to rent your race car there and uh, all all that good stuff. Yeah. And. Uh, I had driven, I, I had owned the GT4 on, on my PlayStation for, for some time, and I had drive, driven the Nürburgring Nordschleife a few times 
of course, like everybody. And I knew that it was a very dangerous and daunting circuit. Uh, so I made a plan that, okay, I'm going to the Nürburgring, but I have to do at least two laps every single day from that point uh, in time where I booked my flights until the day that I, uh, I actually pack my bags and, and, and go to Germany to drive. So I did that for, for about six months. I drove every single day. Some days I drove two laps of the Nordschleife. Some yeah. days I did uh, 10 laps on the Nordschleife. Yeah. But I really memorized the course and uh, it, it was so crucial in, uh, in me being to, able to safely and successfully drive those three full days at the Nürburgring with the real car, uh, having spent that time with, uh, with the Gran Turismo simulation. And uh, again, like driving on a sim, even if you don't have the best gear, uh, and even if the simulation software back in the day was not in the level of, of the Assetto Corsas and the R-Factor 2s and the Automobilistas of today, yeah. you still get a lot, a lot, a lot of benefit. And uh, that, that was the case. Uh, I, I really found that valuable. But uh, after six months, I didn't touch the Gran Turismo for <laughs> other six months at least afterwards. I, that, that, that burnt me out on that one. But yeah, that, that was one of those stories. And you were, so you, you went in the 2011 and did you, did you actually drive the Nürburgring, the Nordschleife? I guess you did. What car did, did you drive an SS car or what did you actually do? No, there was a, a, a company called Rent a Race Car or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I, I rented a Clio Cup for the first day. It was about 200 horsepower with semi slicks, uh, very basic for front wheel drive car. But I felt mm. like that's uh, the right level of power to start my real world Norse life experience with. So I drove a couple of days with the Clio. And uh, then I upgraded into a, a BMW Z4 or Z4, wherever you are in the world, how you want to pronounce that alphabet. Exactly, yeah. Uh, uh, that was the three-liter version, about 250, 260 horsepower. That's a powerful car. Uh, so it, it's a powerful car for the Nordschleife. Like, uh, uh, I had been racing with 570 horsepower previously here in the Finnish tracks. Mm. But it's a completely different animal being at such a fast circuit. Like the room margin for error doesn't really exist in Nordschleife. Yeah, so uh, mm. for for somebody who doesn't have real world laps under the belt, uh, that sort of the power level that you should be aiming for to drive there, you shouldn't be going straight into a Porsche GT3 or something. That's that's just asking for trouble. And the Z4, of course, is real, real drive, and, and, and that's a powerful car. And, and it's funny, we've been talking about, like, same racing versus real. Like, like I said, I, I know so much and I know nothing, but, I, like, I know about the carousels and the flugplatz and dotting a her straight. And, and <laughs> for all of us who are into sim racing, and indeed our Factor 2 is, will be bringing out their laser scan version of the Nürburgring, and everybody wants to know, you know, how that will be. And people were asking... Um, Billy Strange did a, did a stream on Friday, and people were asking, oh, "Do you think um, do you think Studio Three Nine Seven will have twelve hour and twenty four hour, hour um, events? And you know how's how is it going to be? And and it's like the it's like it's like the the bucket list for all of us. And and for example, like nowadays with the internet, you can learn so much. And I knew, for example, it was built during the late nineteen twenties to provide employment. And during a race event, you could have 
rain on one end of the track and be dry on the other, you know? So it's like the, the, green, the green hell, I, I believe they call it. So fascinating. So maybe perhaps on my bucket list to actually visit there one day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I may never even drive it, but just to, you know, to head towards Cologne and, and maybe have a look at it someday. That would be, that'd be interesting for me. Now, I want to talk about uh, Grumblow. So I'm fascinated by uh, Grumblow.com. So, so Marcus, as the, the founder of, of Grumblow and, and it's the thing that you're actively doing now, can you tell us about how Grumblow started? And also, I always ask people the, the origin of the name and give us an overview of what Grumblow is uh, right now or what services you're offering. Sure thing. So uh, having been in the industry for all my life, and uh, having been working with the exhaust business and uh, developing these exhaust systems with uh, distinct sound profiles and, and all that stuff. Uh, back about five years ago, we were thinking about how to make a, you know, a global digital business around the unique skill sets that, uh, that me and my, my family involved in the business have have and possess from from our experience and uh, uh, we came to the realization that there was no uh, online channel or online platform that was only dedicated to pure car sound videos and uh, that was sort of the very basic idea that we started to build uh, Grumble around and uh, there was a lot of uh, software development and uh, figuring out the, the seed funding and all that stuff to make the make the site and the service functional. But uh, we went live in the February of 2017 with the platform, and uh, pretty soon it uh, it uh, just started the life of its own as a motorsport uh, media platform and, and motorsport media outlet. Uh, because that was just, you know, the core of of these pure car sound videos that we were producing. It was uh, so easy and uh, effortless to to send a camera team into an event and and get thirty or forty or a hundred videos, depending on the competition, from from all of these cars. So the format that Grumblo is uh, covering motorsports is that. Uh, we go to all sorts of racing events of all genres around the world, yep. and we make a we make a video of every single driver who participates. So you don't have to be posting, uh, you know, a, a YouTube compilation video of 20 minutes where you might appear for for 15 seconds somewhere in the middle, uh, but you actually get your own one minute or so of of pure action video. Uh, when you are participating in an event that Grumblow covers. And uh, we give that content out for completely free of charge for, oh, really? for all the drivers drivers and teams to be using uh, as long as that usage takes place in our platform. So uh, that's that's sort of our model. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm be able to provide this service to the drivers and teams because uh, if something like this existed back in the day when I was actively racing, I would indeed be, yeah. I would be really, really, really thankful for for getting this sort of content without having to pay for a camera crew and an editing guy uh, to do the production for me, like mm. specifically. And uh, you asked about the name. Uh, of course, it was 2015, 2016 when we were figuring this stuff out and 
most of the dot coms were already booked and uh, made any sort of sense. And uh, I, I stumbled upon uh, this language of Esperanto, which was uh, many, many decades ago developed as like a universal language of uh, all nations around yeah. the world. And uh, I was leafing through the dictionary of, <laughs> of Esperanto and came across Grumblo. And it just sounded phonetically so matching to, to the raw rumble of a race car or, or a performance car. And that fu- and, uh, it's funny, it's funny, Marcus. And when you, you were talking about the exhaust business, the Martellius exhaust and the rumbling of a car and the car sounds, and and when I heard Grumbleo, that's what I, exactly how I how I saw it in my head, or how how I how I heard it in my head, shall I say? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's verified then. Yeah. Uh, actually, in the dictionary, that it means the growl of a wild animal. So, for example, a lion. <laughs> Lion yeah. roaring. If you would be describing that in Esperanto, you would you would use the word word crumble for that. But uh, that that's sort of the brief history of the of the name. And uh, uh, what else about what we are doing now? So uh, uh, fast forward to two and a half years since since we started the platform, we have made uh, twenty three thousand videos from about six hundred different racing events in 40 plus countries so we have really ramped up the the production and uh, we are we are present everywhere and uh, what makes us unique is not only we are covering all genres of racing like we are in drifting we are in uh, rallying and hill climbing and drag racing and all that stuff but we are also covering from from up to down like we have presence with the wrc events uh, when they fit our schedule and we have a camera crew available. But yeah. then also if there's a important local hill climb in the south of Spain, uh, we are there as well. So we are sort of covering uh, across all genres and from regional events until the world championship level events and everything in between. So uh, uh, we are not covering Formula One and all that stuff. Uh, doesn't make any sense. There's enough content everywhere for for those events we did cover the formula one free testing in barcelona a few years ago that was that was sort of an experimental thing there but uh, if you are like a national level rally driver or or a european championship level something or or just taking part in regional events in a country that we are operating in then there's a good chance that grumblo has a video of you driving so that's that's sort of the content side there as we don't charge any money from the drivers and teams, uh, for our business model, it's uh, it's really important that the drivers are engaging with our stuff because that's the way that we generate traffic into our platform. And uh, and we we came to the realization uh, that the, the digital marketing skills uh, of these drivers are not up to par with their driving skills, and uh, that's where the Grumble Drivers program came about. Uh, we wanted to make a, again free of charge for the drivers educational program uh, where the drivers can actually learn how to engage with their own content and our content and third party content uh, how to correctly tag your sponsors in the social media and uh, uh, how to be as professional as possible and how to get the maximum engagement uh, with the content you have available and uh, in the driver's program, we are measuring the success of the drivers with an internal point system that is based on the buzz and activity they are 
able to generate in our platform. Yeah. And the drivers who are who are getting the best scores, uh, they actually get real world media and uh, and partner and sponsorship opportunities through us. So uh, we have a lot of businesses in different sectors in and around motorsport and completely outside of the motorsport world that want to be involved and visible in the motorsport world in, in, in one way or another. And uh, we actually match make these companies with, with the influencers that we, we can verify that are really moving the needle in the Grumble Drivers program. So that's, that's sort of the, uh, me giving back to the racing community again in, in, in a way that if, if it had existed back when I was driving, I would have been interested in, in taking advantage of something like that because hunting for sponsors and trying to get these deals fruitful and uh, and for them to continue for for a meaningful period of years it's a really really difficult thing for many of these drivers uh, they they are in motorsport because of their driving skill but uh, then they find themselves in this uh, situation where they have to develop business skills and uh, they have to develop relationships and they have to be giving value to their sponsors and partners and uh, it's just really hard for them so we are trying to help out and uh, in the process, of course, gain a lot of uh, traction and traffic for our own platform as well through the through the increased activity of the members. And it's a great idea. And, and I've had people on the show. I've interviewed people on the show who are creating YouTube videos and streaming. And those are guys who've been involved in the real world and they just couldn't continue doing it either for they just couldn't afford to do it or, or family matters or whatever. And from what I can see, you're, you're basically supporting gr- grassroots level, hill climb, point to point rally, all the way up, for example, to WRC. And, and where there are v- events where people can participate, you're, you guys are there capturing footage. And uh, the people who are involved, it's so expensive to keep a car going in the real world. That's what everybody, everybody talks about all the time. And what, you got, what you're doing is providing a, a free form of PR, if you will. And all the people, all the guys, drivers need to do is, is get involved in it. And it's a great idea. And it's, it's, it's really, really wonderful that what you're doing. So for, for the listeners now um, um, who never, never heard of Grumbelow, they can visit grumbelow.com and access the content. But is there anything else you would, you would like to, anybody listening now who's involved, who would visit Grumbelow, is there anything you'd like to do in terms of how do they get involved inside the site? Do you want them to share videos or what's the kind of the expectation or the best journey people should take when visiting the site to get involved? Sure. So, like I said, we have more than 23,000 videos in our uh, in our platform and in our database. So there is a ton of content and it's really easy to get lost in there. Uh, we do have a search functionality. So if you want to look at Audi Quattro videos, you can you can search for that. Or then we have a calendar with the recent events we've covered. So you can navigate from there and see if you find uh, a genre of, or country of event that uh, you find interesting and uh, go see uh, what kind of content and what kind of drivers and cars were there. Uh, of course, our social media channels, which I will give you the links to share in the in the description as well, are something that we are promoting uh, the best content that we generate in 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 and around these events. So uh, by following our socials, you can you can often find links uh, to the most interesting and important events that we have covered. Uh, 
regarding the sim racing community, uh, we have actually just decided a few weeks ago that we are going to involve sim racing in the Grumble uh, content side and also the drivers program. Uh, I really feel like uh, we should be uh, involved in the esports in a way that we treat the athletes as equals, whether they are uh, high-level uh, sim racing athletes or or high-level real-world racing athletes. And uh, I feel like uh, the possibilities of creating content and uh, being interesting in the sim world is is even more accessible than it is in the real world because you don't need the camera crew your your software is is handling all that and, and Indeed, you have yeah. un, unlimited access to to content and uh, i have noticed that there's like a, a phenomenon of of these youtube channels that are trying to find their angle on on how to be relevant in in the sim context uh, if you may and uh, the, it is really really difficult to be an engaging personality uh, if that's not what you're born with so that's a very good point yeah there there are always these outliers like uh, i suppose jimmy broadbent is the is the man of the moment in the sim racing world now with the most followers and stuff if he's 250,000 followers now he's going to be a million followers a year or two from now and uh, he's he's going to remain there at the top but uh, he's a rare rare case that he has a personality and uh, uh, ability to present himself in in this entertaining way and uh, in the Grumble drivers program we we sort of want to uh, remind people that you shouldn't be copycatting the the outliers but you should be doing your own thing and you should be using your content and uh, it's fine to be a micro influencer that you don't have to uh, aim for a million followers you can have a very meaningful career and very meaningful partners and sponsors by by having a reasonable amount of followers and and producing quality content and uh, and doing all these things online and offline to to keep your partners uh, business goals happening with your input so uh, we we want to invite the sim racing community to take part in in Grumble by uh, uploading their own content which once again is completely free uh, they can join the Grumble drivers program no charge there either uh, there's a simple form that they have to fill and then they have to upload some content to prove that they are actually uh, a racing driver not just uh, not just some dude wants to get their name on the on the leaderboard of the of the drivers program and or whatever, uh, but uh, very very simple process. Uh, we actually have a person working for us whose uh, main job is to take care of the drivers and help them with their profiles and place the sponsor logos there and and all that stuff. So uh, I will I will give you the link to the application form for the drivers yes, please, program yeah. and uh, mm. uh, I I would really be interested in getting the first. Uh, sim racing drivers to join the GDP, uh, which is not the cross domestic produce, but the Grumble drivers program now in the new lingo that we are using. And uh, it's an evolving process. Uh, we are going to develop the program so that it would better work for the sim racers as well. Uh, looking for all sorts of feedback and ideas on, on where we could take that. 
But uh, I feel there's a lot of potential for crossover between the real world and the sim racing. And, uh, and we are really excited to be working with all these companies and all these drivers to, to make these connections and, uh, and to make, make racing both online and offline a, a better place for everybody. Yeah. And I would encourage people to, to get involved. And indeed, I will try and get involved myself to the best of my ability because I'm just thinking now, Everybody's saying now, you know, if you're on, if you're active online, you have your social media and your video sources. You shouldn't rely on just one. You, you know, you shouldn't rely on just YouTube. You shouldn't rely on Twitch. For example, the, the news came out that the biggest uh, YouTuber PewDiePie has now is is going to leave Twitch or he's migrating to this D Live, which is this uh, Bitcoin and blockchain supported system. So he, you know, he's massive and he's going there. As somebody said, it's breaking from the breaking out from the Silicon Valley duopoly, if you will, and he's going there. So that's that's very interesting. So I would I would encourage people to take a look at, and and get involved and register there because, like I said, it's it's important to have your content or have your have your profile, have your visibility in in as many touch points as possible. And to add on that, I think there is some sort of a establishment in the in the gaming community and esports community in general to be doing these long format stream videos and uh, for myself it doesn't matter if it's formula one or somebody playing a game yeah. if i'm not catching it live i'm not going to go back and watch one or two or 12 hours of stream in in the afterwards so your streams on youtube and twitch and what have you they are relevant for the moment Mm. Uh, but there's a long tail uh, to be had with a shorter format and a slightly bit more produced content, which is the Grumblow style of, of making a highlight of one minute, for example. If you did a race, uh, just take the snips, the best overtakes, the start of the race, a little bit of in-car, a little bit of out-car, and, yeah. and create, create a little bit of a shorter version of content to, to showcase yourself to the ones who are not yet so immersed into sim racing and, and are not willing to watch one and a half hours of stream on YouTube or Twitch to see all your, your maneuvers and, and all your stuff. Because it, uh, there is always a bubble. And uh, when you are in the bubble, uh, you don't see the forest from the trees and uh, you are doing what everybody else is doing. But I, I encourage everybody to play, play around with the format of their content and try different approaches and uh, that can open completely new audiences for them yeah exactly and indeed I'm, I'm guilty of what you just said myself because oftentimes you'll see a stream of a lot of a real world event and maybe they cut it into a 12-hour video or maybe two times six hours and indeed i've i've been guilty of watching the start and fast forwarding just to catch the end or maybe catch the part where it was raining and everybody was aquaplaning because I, I literally don't have time. And also back to the thing of, of you know, if, if you're looking to create a channel, creating the online content to get views, you're at nothing. Because like you said, you need to be doing, you know, you don't want to mimic your, mimic other people. You need to be yourself. You need to do what you, what, what you want to do. And indeed, <laughs> many people have commented on me and Davey's there doing his own thing, which is true. I mean, I, I, I'm interested in my things. And, and I, I, I've said this before. I like to create content that interests me. 
and 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 uh, you know I, I I don't have a massive viewership right now but I'm working on it you know and 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 indeed I, I get very nice comments from people who say they've en enjoyed the content and that's great for me and and that that kind of thing um, um, keeps me going you know so yeah absolutely you have to be doing what you love doing if it's if it's not you then it's not sustainable so, Marcus, it's been a very fascinating conversation. You have so much in, in information and so much to share, and I really enjoy talking to you. So before we close then, and I, I'll, I'll let you go and get back to your Sunday morning, um, is there anything else in the meantime, anything else coming up, any events or anything, campaigns, competitions, or, or anything coming up on, on Grumbler.com relating to either the, the, the Real World Drivers program or the eSports, or, or what is it that you would like pe listeners of the show to watch out for coming up in the, next, in the coming months? So the, the driver's program has been in sort of a pre-launch phase now. We have about 130, 140 drivers from 20 different countries yeah. as members of the, of the program. But that's all organic. We have, uh, when we share the videos with the drivers after the event, we have mentioned that there's a possibility for this. Uh, we haven't really been doing much of public marketing of the driver's program at all. Uh, so we are going to launch the program for real uh, within this month and we are going to start generating the educational content for there so there's going to be a series of videos with uh, different members of the grumble team and some uh, outsider uh, superstars who are also going to be generating content about uh, uh, different aspects of digital marketing when it relates to motorsport and building your personal brand and how to be professional and all that stuff so that's uh, that's what's coming up next in the drivers program uh we have already matched the first drivers with uh, real world sponsors really 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 happy for for those projects and uh, uh you can expect in two or three weeks time to start seeing the first uh, video productions that we have done with these drivers and with these companies uh there's going to be some really really interesting and, and exciting projects uh, that we are going to release in the coming weeks and uh, content wise we are we are everywhere all the time so uh, whatever is your genre of interest you can be pretty sure to find either recent content or something's coming up in the in the next months about about any genre anywhere in the world so uh, everything is everything is coming up uh, from the community that is listening to this uh, i really like connecting with people and uh, if you are somehow involved in the business of, of sim racing, whether you are trying to build a career as a professional driver or, or you have a business around software or organizing events or uh, making hardware or, or whatever, uh, I'm, I'm really happy and happy to connect with people, for example, in LinkedIn and uh, just have conversations about uh, uh, where there can be points that we can help each other. Like, uh, if you don't talk to people, you never uh, really get the full understanding of uh, of possibilities to cooperate. And uh, uh, I've been able to help many people uh, from from different businesses and different industries by connecting a client with another client of mine with with no interest at all for me in between in a in a financial way, but just just something that i enjoy doing and enjoy connecting with people so uh, whoever yeah. Mm. yeah whoever has has anything 
uh, at all that they would like to discuss when it relates to content and uh, where sim racing is going and career development and marketing and video productions, whatever. Uh, I will be really happy to uh, to connect on LinkedIn or or in any other social medias and, and have a conversation. Okay, and I think that encapsulates very well the, the answer to my question. So we want we encourage people to visit Kroomla.com and get involved. And I'll include the links to, to everything you've mentioned in the video description. Um, and indeed, I'll also include your, um, your LinkedIn profile, Marcus, if that's uh, useful for people. And I'd encourage people to, to, if they have an interest, if they're listening, just to reach out to you and ask a question because that what, that's what you'd like them to do. So on that note, uh, we'll close. Mark, Marcus, thanks very much again for joining. It was a very fascinating conversation and I look perhaps to talking to you again someday. Thanks, Davey. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of topics we didn't even get to touch on. So uh, indeed, uh, we, maybe we need to do a round two when I have my sim set up, and uh, or then we'll we'll catch up on the real world at some point, and uh, maybe go do some sim racing somewhere together or or something. But uh, yeah, thanks for doing what you're doing. I I really hope that your channel explodes and uh, you get a lot of a uh, lot of new followers because. Uh, I, I think you have a good format and you are doing your own thing and uh, it's very valuable stuff that you do. So uh, I encourage you to keep keep going and uh, and uh, for many years to come. Oh, let's hope so. Marcus, you're very kind. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate your words. And uh, thank you very much for joining. So until next time, thank you. Is that the, is that the outro music? Do, 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 do.